0: Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to your Monday Postbox. This is Ranks FC. My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the usual suspects. Rank Mr. Mr. how are you doing, mate?
2: Hello, mate. Yes, um, I'm still a little bit groggy after your celebrations on Saturday night. Uh, I, I've just remembered that um, on the way there, I put in the Discord, I'm on my way to Jack's 30th birthday party. Uh, leave your well wishes here, and I'll try to remember to show him them. And I've just remembered that I didn't remember to do that. So sorry. (laughs) But trust me, there were plenty of people on Discord who wished you a happy birthday.
0: Well, that's wonderful to hear. Thank you very, very much to everyone who messaged Sam and he then did not pass several wishes (laughs) on. But I appreciate them nonetheless. Uh, And I'll transfer to Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate?
3: A good mate, but uh yeah, you had a a lovely time it looked like on, on Saturday night. A really good turnout for you. I so pleased for that. Not so pleased for you that they ran out of Guinness. Um oh, that no. seemed to trouble you for a good half hour at least.
0: It did trouble and then I when I sort of sort of came round yesterday i then remembered it and it annoyed me again so it was like oh, so, yeah, thankfully they didn't run out baby guinnesses so we were we were alright on that front and it was um it was it was a crisis point those. though wasn't it it was like oh, yeah. about
2: nine thirty or 10 p.m or something and they ran out of guinness and jack do you remember me sh- shouting at you from across the the room i was at the bar yeah. and i asked for a guinness and they said they ran run out and i screamed um put my hands on my head turned around and shouted jack and got your attention. I was like, they've run out of Guinness. And you mouthed, I know, yeah. <laughs> from all the way across the room. It's like, we had an actual crisis.
0: Yeah, it was It was bad. It was probably for the best, because it was, it was going down very, very mm. nicely. But yeah, we could say that we drank them out of Guinness at my birthday, which is probably relatively on brand. Um, but we've had a massive weekend of football to talk about. So let's get stuck into it. And the only place to start, I think, is at Anfield. The comments, the questions have been multiple. And was we'll that? Ocean Sun, Manchester United fan says no words. Kai Camille says pain. Henry Engel says 7-0. The goals just didn't stop. And Ian Dwyer, I imagine this is aimed at
3: you, Dean. Apologize to Darwin. <laughs> I did. I did I did apologize in the predictions. In the predictions on, on Friday, I said you would have noticed recently. I haven't been digging out Darwin because fair play to him. He's come to the role more. He's playing much more sensible football. The stupid balls into the box have gone. The no look passes have gone. Um, he's not playing ball into just random spaces. And uh, I've, that was it. That's as good as you're getting to an apology. I'm a, <laughs> he's an 85 million pound footballer He's now doing what he was bought to do. So I'm not going to apologize too much for the fact he was crap for three or four months. Um, that will always be there. That will always be there that those highlight reels. So, um yeah, I mean, I was, the basic lines are obviously like humiliation and embarrassment and all, and all the rest of it. And that, and that's fine. And it is, Um it's really a case of, like, how do you react? Because these things happen. Like, 7-0, okay, doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. (laughs) I was going to say, do they? Like, (laughs) like, Fulham don't go to Man United and lose 7-0. The difference here, I was thinking... I can't believe
0: you just said that when we have to go to Old Trafford
3: in less than a month, but we'll see. (laughs) What's the the difference between, like, you know, Man United being in a bad moment in a game like this and other teams? Because, like, it's not the first time United have had a battering either at Anfield. So it's like, you know, when they go there, they do tend to, like be really poor, if they're going to be poor. And it's like, I, I just think there's like no halfway point for them. And like, there's the, you could see the way that Liverpool were capitalising on United's like, oh shit, what's happening? At that moment, Liverpool's confidence and belief is just growing and growing. Every time they're confident. We've all felt it, right? You've all played at some point in your life against a shit team, right? And, and you love it. Whether it's five aside, whether it's eleven aside, they have a couple of rubbish players. You could tell that they don't fancy it at all. And once you've scored one or two, especially yourself, you you feel like you're untouchable, right? And it, and it's just this. It's like you have got a superpower. And it felt like that's what Liverpool were experiencing at Anfield. The fans inside Anfield also were grabbing onto it. It was like a cup final moment. It was the biggest game in their season that they'd had up to this point. To, Kill off like Man United's good vibes and like say, Oh, you won the Carabao Cup, fair play, but like now, welcome back to the, the proper big time. We're going to batter you here. And they just capitalized on every single chance. They were ruthless with their finishing. Like, I think XG was 2.9, it won yeah. And it was also
2: like seven shots. Seven goals from, like, eight shots on target or something. Yeah, exactly.
3: So, yeah. like, this is ruthless finishing. There's good luck. There's there's luck that comes in. Like, the one that Salah's able to smash in after the deflection from McTominay's uh, attempt to block. Like, there's things like that that have gone their way. Um, but then also, there are obviously f- some bad performances from Man United and... Kind of across the board, really. Across the board, um, yeah. So it's it...
2: yeah. I, look, with the, I had a, a bit, not an argument, but sort of a debate on twisted with somebody. I said that was a scary performance from Liverpool. I, the relentlessness of it and the way they smelt blood and went for it, I thought that was really quite scary because it, it gave me echoes of the old Liverpool. I saw a lot of players on that pitch for Liverpool who were having exceptionally good games, and I haven't necessarily seen that from them in a while. So, like, I saw it from Darwin, I saw it from Hakpo, I saw it from Salah, sure, but I also. I think that Fabinho was f- was absolutely excellent and Harvey Elliott was brilliant too. Um, yeah. And Robertson was probably, that was probably the best I've seen Robertson play in like months, maybe all season. So all of that combined gives you a very kind of like, um, like, like stormtrooper feel, you know, yeah. like ro- roll in the imperious music and oh my God, they're back. And that yeah. is what scared me the most. And then somebody else said to me, well, no, because they just got super lucky. Like six of those goals are Man United's fault. You you can't take that much away from Liverpool here. You can't just you can't just say, oh no, six of them will let like, no. Because if you are Liverpool there, you are twisting your opponents into knots there. You can you can manipulate errors, a team. Right? Yeah, you can manipulate a team to such an extent, you can, you can you could actually make it so that they make these mistakes. You can, yeah. they create their own errors. And that is, that is a positive for Liverpool rather than just solely a negative for Man United.
3: Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think also, like, just to uh, kind of jump onto the back of what Sam's saying there as well, like, this was really like Klopp showing his tactical prowess, if you like, and a real big task for Ten Hag, which he didn't adapt in game two as well as he needed to. So what happened a lot was United, when Liverpool were in position at the back, you would see them collect the ball in the defence. Rashford would go to close down. Bruno would run across to close down the other defender as he normally would if he was playing in that position. What Liverpool had, like he says, Robertson had a great game. That's because Robertson saw so much of the ball and was free all the time. Him and Trent were always available and Liverpool's tactics allow that to happen because of the way that Man United typically press. normally united get away with it because most fullbacks aren't trent and robertson and yeah they haven't had good seasons especially but they're still capable of playing to a level that almost no other fullbacks in the premier league are capable of and when you've got the type of midfielders that united had on the pitch or say anthony like supposed to do a job on his man when he's but anthony's not really going to do that like anthony hasn't really got within him to properly defend against something like this so suddenly United's full were then found out even more, particularly Luke Shaw. Like Luke Shaw had a horrible game. And you could see, as the game went on, he was so pissed off. He was so pissed off with everything. And he was trying to, like, you know, he was shoving people all left, right and centre. And it's because it was his area of the pitch that Liverpool were targeting by the end. And it was like, it, it was just all Klopp's tactics for that game really paid off. And I feel it's one of the few occasions that you could say, okay, like the players obviously didn't perform, but the tactics that United typically adopt weren't really capable uh, of countering what Liverpool were doing.
0: Yeah, I, I double down on that. And we've really praised Ten Hag in recent weeks, especially in that game against Barcelona, for being able to kind of rotate the front four in a way that allowed them to get the best or, or get their players up against the right players. So we talked about the fact that Araujo is having a wonderful season for Barcelona and Rashford was originally deployed on the left. Xavi deployed Araujo to deal with him in the way that he dealt with Vini Jr. in the Clasco in midweek. And basically, Ten Hag saw this and shifted it so that Marcus Rashford was in the centre and therefore running against Marcus Alonso and Kunde. And United got a lot of joy out of that at the new Camp. You go back to this game and Rashford played through the centre most mostly, Bruno, as you say Dean, pushed on kind of where he's been pushing on from that attacking midfield role and it gave leaps and bounds of space for Andrew Robertson in particular, but also Trent, to, to get forward and actually start to influence the game in the areas that we know that those two players like to influence the game. And actually, when you're looking at how you think United were going to approach this and Again, we've talked about the fact that I think the Trent Alexander-Arnold defensive issues are overblown, but not complete myth in the fact that there are some elements of that 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 hold weight and hold truth. You'd imagine that putting Marcus Rashford up against Trent would have been the idea that Ten Hag would have gone for here in terms of trying to get joy out of that area. And instead, Rashford was pretty much marked out of the game and both fullbacks, because the pressing system wasn't as cohesive, were able to get forward and make life difficult for Manchester United. I thought that was important.
2: Yeah, I, I was also surprised to see the alignment of the front four. Um, but if you if you sort of scale it back into the first half, and remember that this game was, was basically in the balance for 46 and a half minutes or something like that, and just before half-time, Luke Shaw puts it on a plate for Rashford's run. Yeah, and he first time finishes it into Allison, and he he possibly should do a bit better. Although it is a very very difficult finish. R- Rashford had a couple of moments there where he ran into certain areas that I think Ten Hag probably would have identified. And Van Dyke had a couple of problems, didn't he? He got a couple of runners got in behind him. What was the one? What was the one where he was kind of outpaced from behind? Then he tried to sort yeah. of push the player over. And then when he still wouldn't go, he shouted at the linesman. And I have absolutely no idea what he was complaining about because he was just beaten. Ultimately, that was what it was. But Van Dijk was furious about something. I feel like they definitely found a point in that Liverpool system where they could attack. It just wasn't the one that we would necessarily expect. And again, it's like, well, it really got out of hand in the second half. But United had a couple of chances there to make that advantage count. And they they didn't take advantage.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's some really interesting bits. We'll go to Michael Lewis's question. He says, Wow, 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 wow. So many talking points. But what an Anfield performance that was, and what a game from Cody Hakpo. Finally, that World Cup form is starting to show through. With the late week news of Bobby departing for free in the summer, quite poetic he was able to score. Narrative FC in full effect. I completely agree. What perfect timing to have a statement game against our top rivals. Can you guys see Cody morphing into a successful Bobby Fulstein replacement under Klopp's system? Will this be more effective long-term than Darwin in a central role? I'm starting to see it more and the possibility of Cody being an even better version with his speed and long-range passing that Bobby lacked. Bobby's pressing is still miles ahead where Gakpo is currently at, but we'd like to hear your opinions on the potential and ceiling of Cody Hakpo in that centre-forward position after this performance. I mean, Sam, we've talked about this a little bit, the idea that Hakpo can be a central player if you have players willing to break over and, and get in behind in the way that Salah and Darwin did in this game. And, and you kind of can work that out to basically change and, and kind of be a version of that famous Mane, Firmino, Salah front three. What that had with Firmino dropping off was still the ability to stretch teams because the other two were able to get in behind. We're seeing a bit of that now and, and more and more on with this front three.
2: Yeah, it's becoming a little bit more regular and he's getting a lot better at it as well. I think we should probably point out like in the space of basically 2 months he's got an awful lot better at some of the mechanical parts of being an an actual forward. Like when he first played, when he when he was dropped into the role in like January the 15th or whatever it was, there was a, there was a game, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but he didn't look right at all. He didn't really look like he knew how to move, where to move and when to move. But the power of coaching the power of natural ability and of course just sinking in with Salah and just um you know just developing those relationships and understanding each other and things like that yeah it's starting to become apparent that he can do it I mean we, I think we said at the time when he when he moved we like the versatility of this we like the fact that he can play left side and sub in for you no know, Luis Diaz and Jota we like the fact that long term it could potentially be a Firmino replacement I must admit I thought it would take longer for the signs to show. I didn't think it would be two months. I thought it would be more like next season. But yeah, I mean, he from that position he can spin out to the left and score a goal like he did for the opener and also he can link play and 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 and, and go and, and create one-twos and and get into the box and and do a bit of a Firmino. So overall, yeah, the World Cup form is starting to show. The good form is starting to show and he's really starting to step
3: up. Mm. He dropped really deep at times, like really deep, yeah. and it gave United again something to to think about and questions that you don't normally get asked. If you know a player like that who's supposed to be such a threat going forward, and he is such a threat going forward. Coming that far back, looking for the ball at times, um, but so effectively. It doesn't help that... when
2: Casemiro has a really tough game as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was yeah. one
3: Brazilian centre
0: midfielder on this pitch who really stood out, and I don't think many people would have picked it out as being Fabinho before this game kicked off. <laughs> no.
2: Yeah. No, not at all. He was good. I mean, Bajetic dropped dropped out of the team who's been, you know, by Salah's admission, the best player at Liverpool for the last six weeks. So Baichetic came out and obviously is Elliot Henderson on the left side of midfield, left left centre mid, which again, not often the case. Like he's obviously made that right centre mid position really his own over the over the years. So again, a little a little tweak there, something else a little bit different. I thought he did, thought he did quite well. But Fabinho stepping up is absolutely massive absolutely massive and Canate's impact in the defensive line his the amount of space he can cover can't underestimate that either
0: yeah I just thought the midfield looked really balanced and gave Harvey Elliott that ability to kind of get forward and and make key passes to link play he's a really intelligent player in in little pockets Harvey Elliott and I thought this team gave him the basis to do that that the players around him Jordan Henderson think made more ball recoveries than anyone else on the pitch if I'm not mistaken it was just an all-round excellent performance from Liverpool and it's the kind of result that can you know help you kick on look what are they now three points of the top four with a game in hand it, I know Newcastle are one point behind them with a game in hand on Liverpool so it, it's not everything but mm. this kind of game can change the trajectory of a season in a positive way. I, I don't think it's going to change the trajectory of United's season hugely. We've seen them bounce back from bad results before. But there is an element of tiredness, I think, about this United City, or what we saw in this performance, especially in the second half. And, Dean, we have a question from Bryce about Bruno. He says, has there ever been a more disgraceful performance by a captain than what we saw tonight from Bruno Fernandes? Stopped playing, multiple embarrassing dives, lashing out at Trent and the linesman, kicked out at Chetik in the build-up to the seventh goal believe that he asked to be substituted at one point He's like Bryce says how is he the captain
3: yeah I mean it was obviously a, a game where he's attracted all of these headlines for the wrong reasons and but it was only not a week ago or two whenever he was walking off that that pitch after beating Barcelona that he was being absolutely given a standing ovation by 70,000 people as he walked off the pitch and i was thinking wow how far this has come because i remember this was not been the case under other managers and well done ten Hag. and you're looking at this and you're like wow he's rattled he's just totally rattled by this and fernandez doesn't deal well with adversity like typically like if you're if you're a team especially if it's a niggly game and there's things that haven't gone your way and it's a don't don't forget like, the rivalry between these is huge and Fernandez has been there long enough now to understand it and to have yeah. experienced it probably like in the streets and stuff as well from like Liverpool fans. Like he will know that there's no love lost between these two. I think he just really seriously struggles to contain himself and it does affect performances um, as a result. So it was the, the thing where he went down to the ground, like he'd been elbowed when he really hadn't at all. Um, that was Really, the worst part I saw of it. Um, the thing of him asking to come off, I haven't actually seen any footage of that. I heard it talked about. I haven't actually seen... Yeah, the, the, Sky comments,
2: if- the Sky commentators said that it was happening. Yeah. Um, They were about to kick off, weren't they, after ha- having conceded the fifth or sixth or whichever one it was. Yeah. And um, he was stood there and he was gesticulating at the bench. They were making a couple of changes and he wasn't one of them. And the suggestion was that he he was wanting to come off or expected to come off i don't i don't, I don't know that's why jack said yeah, like we don't know seem, that part. seemingly we're
3: not sure yeah, yeah allegedly yeah. Mm. but gary neville certainly wasn't happy with what he saw um <laughs> no he wasn't but, but Bruno. Wasn't by the way bruno is much bruno is is like
2: an incredibly dislikable character unless you support man like the team that he plays for like yeah like he's my least favorite footballer and a lot of people like severely dislike him because of the way he dives around the way he cheats his antics his remonstrations his his fa- his face when he's pissed off like there's it, it, so much about him that's very very dislikable. like he just if you, if if he, he's one of those players that if he's not yours you hate him and look ultimately he should he should hold it together a bit more but this is this is who Bruno is. So if Man United fans have finally kind of been shown that side of him, this, the side that we we all see, then th- this is what Bruno's like. This is still this love is what. He, yeah,
0: yeah, of course yeah. love but that, they saw a little. Absolutely, they must because that's part of it.
2: There was a little yeah. glimpse there. It sort of bled through, and you got you guys saw it. And a lot a lot of United fans are really really angry at Bruno for the way he acted. Oh yeah. So well, this is how he acts. This this like this is obviously an extreme yeah. example. And Luke Shaw, he's not he's not alone. Luke Shaw had a had a complete meltdown, didn't mm. he? By the end, he was basically trying to get himself sent off. Yeah. Um, so it was a very, very bad day on many levels. But, like, yeah, you, you saw a little bit of Bruno, the, the Bruno that we see.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, I think it's an interesting one. Right, last question on this before we move on. Uh, Noah says, Dean, did you remove the captaincy on Salah this week in Fantasy Premier League? Can only imagine the emotional turmoil you're going through, if so. I did. I did. Yeah, I I mean, anyone in their right mind would
3: have, to be honest. I mean, I had him as triple captain the week before because they had that double game week. And I was like waiting for like, there'd been signs of life from Liverpool in the league. take away that Real Madrid pasting. And um, they were in quite good form. Um, There's been some reasons to suggest that Salah was getting back to a a place where he was going to start scoring again. So I went all out, triple captain on Salah. It didn't pay off. He got one goal across the two games. So obviously, on the back of that, I had a wild card in the bag too. I was like, "He has to come out." Um, so I but didn't two even goals, two assists,
0: Not great D- vibes. <laughs> didn't even have him
3: my team, let alone the uh, let alone as captain. Um, but there aren't many people that would have made not made that decision um, before that game week. It was a very very weird weird game week all around, wasn't it? Um, even you know, get onto the Arsenal game in a minute, like. You know, a, a captain, Saka. Saka was the obvi- obvious captaincy choice going into that game week. Um, Rhys Nelson apparently still plays for Arsenal. Like they, We learned loads of stuff at the weekend. <laughs> Chelsea yeah. scored a goal. Chelsea scored Indeed. goals, yeah.
0: Indeed. Well, we're going to be talking about all of those things in the rest of this podcast. If you're listening on the main feed and you fancy hearing us have a chat about Arsenal, about Chelsea, about Tottenham, Newcastle, Aston Villa, we're talking about Leicester and Southampton, and then going to Europe to talk about Atletico Barcelona, Real Madrid versus Real Betis, Real Sociedad. We're talking about the bottom of the table in Serie A and in the bundesliga napoli losing for the first time in what feels like forever the game between juventus and roma and a host more other bits come and join us over on patreon we're opening up for a free trial month get two extra podcasts every single week so you fancy coming over and seeing what we're up to over there and enjoying more from the ranks, squad. We would love to have you to come and see what it's like over on the Patriot. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. slash ranks.